Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to a special edition of Full Measure After Hours. Before we dive into today's subject, I hope that you have read my new bestseller, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. It is so on point with the censorship, the control, the manipulation of information that we're experiencing today. Share this book, Slanted, with friends or somebody you care about. Today in my podcast, a deep dive into my investigation into a controversy over misinformation on the COVID-19 vaccines, misinformation put out by top scientists at CDC, false material that the scientists knew about but kept distributing, that some other scientists say has resulted in exacerbating the vaccine shortage and caused people who need the COVID vaccine the least to get it in place of others who need it the most. Well, amid a confusing sea of information during the coronavirus pandemic and talk about which treatments and therapies do and don't work and talk about questions with the vaccines and possible vaccine shortages, this gets even more confusing in some respects, but I'm trying to make it simple. It's the subject of my cover story on this week's Full Measure, Sunday, January 31st. And it's a very important story because it gets at the heart of misinformation put out by, of all people, the top experts at the Centers for Disease Control, CDC, the experts and advisors who work on immunization and vaccination, who have gotten caught distributing very important misinformation or disinformation, however you want to term it. And it looked like in the beginning that perhaps it was a mistake, although it's hard to imagine how a mistake like this that was signed off by 15 scientists at CDC, was not noticed by anybody until an outsider, a congressman, flagged it to them. At least they pretended or said that nobody had noticed it, and it somehow was a mistake that got into a scientific paper and recommendation. But as you will see as we talk about this story, the fact that they continued to repeat the same misrepresentation and failed to correct it long after it was flagged, seems to indicate this was more than just an accident. So let's start at the beginning with Congressman Thomas Massey. He's a Republican from Kentucky. And like millions of Americans, he already had coronavirus. In fact, it's estimated that about 100 million Americans have had coronavirus, many of them without symptoms, as they say, asymptomatically. And with the word that vaccines are available or becoming available, Like a lot of people, Massey wanted to know, should he get a vaccine? Because, of course, if you've had it, if you've had coronavirus, you may have heard that you are immune for some period of time thereafter, or at least you're considered immune. 
And I've been digging into that if you've listened to my podcast in the past couple of months. And it seems to be general agreement that having the virus confers a certain amount of immunity to people. And it may be long lasting, but it's hard to know how long since the virus has only been around, as far as we know, a little over a year. So for most people, scientists say the immunity after an infection of coronavirus lasts at least a year, and they're hoping it lasts significantly longer. But a second thing to factor in is that the vaccines that are available, they also hope to confer immunity and will, they say, for most people, something like 90%, maybe 95%. But there's also a question again of how long, because the vaccines haven't been around long enough to know. We only know that for a period of a couple of months, they give you immunity. And if you listened to my podcast last week or the, maybe two weeks ago, the top virologist at Fort Detrick, John Dye, told us that you can expect to need boosters periodically, perhaps every six months, maybe every year if we're lucky, maybe even a little bit longer for the vaccine. If you've had the vaccine for coronavirus, it's not going to last, he says, uh, forever, for sure may not even last five years, four years, three years. So you may be wondering if I've had coronavirus, like a lot of people are wondering, should I get the vaccine? And Massey, as it turns out, the congressman, he's an award-winning scientist himself who attended the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT. So he understands a lot about scientific studies, although he's quick to point out he's not a medical doctor, but he understands how studies work He knows how to talk science, and it's pretty hard, I think, to double-talk him, which I will tell you quite candidly as I've dealt with medical issues and government officials and policy over the past couple of decades, and this surprised me too, but they sometimes hit you with a lot of double-talk and not always with factually correct information. But sometimes, as has been my experience and as I think you'll hear today, They just repeat up is down so many times that if you're not somebody who understands what's going on, maybe a journalist who doesn't cover these issues routinely, maybe a staffer for a member of Congress who's trying to dig into something, and they just insist up is down so many times, it kind of wears you out and you tend to think, maybe I just don't understand, maybe I'm missing something. But Congressman Massey is not someone they can talk circles around and convince him that he doesn't know what he's talking about. So anyway, he went to read the vaccine studies to see what they said, if anything, about whether people who've had coronavirus can benefit from the vaccine in some way. And it was pretty clear what he found was that vaccination did not change the odds of people who've had coronavirus getting reinfected. In both the Pfizer and the Moderna study, there was no evidence of what they call efficacy, or effectiveness that it worked or that it helped people who'd had coronavirus. And as one scientist told me, why would it? You're already immune. Why would adding a vaccine to the immunity that you already have give you some different outcome? Well, the controversy, though, began when Massey noticed something strange after he came to this determination that people who've had coronavirus according to the studies, cannot benefit or there's no proof that they're going to benefit from the vaccines, he noticed the CDC was claiming the exact opposite. So you could look this up yourself if you like. The December 12th, 2020 CDC Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices Guidance. 
So this came out December 12, 2020 on the CDC website. Very important guidance from the CDC Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, ACIP, as people are waiting to hear the fine points of what the vaccine studies show and what people ought to do. So this is a high-profile report authored by 15 scientists who sit on this advisory committee. And Massey noticed that this important paper wrongly claimed that Pfizer's study in the vaccine proved that the vaccine is highly effective or showed what they called consistent high efficacy for people who'd already had coronavirus. Same thing as SARS-CoV-2. But that is wrong. There is no efficacy demonstrated in the Pfizer trial among the participants who had evidence of previous coronavirus infection. So Massey is looking at this guidance and he thinks this is problematic because CDC is giving the impression to the something like 100 million people in America who've had coronavirus that the vaccine will somehow help them even though they've already had the virus and recovered. So Congressman Massey wanted to know why the CDC paper had this misinformation in it. He said he was so alarmed by it, by the way, that he decided to record his calls with CDC officials. So we'll begin with his first call to the director of CDC's Washington, D.C. office, Anstis Brand. And I think everything in that is correct, except for among participants with evidence of previous SARS-CoV-2 infection. Okay. And... Um, I know that, um, excuse me, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I don't have a cough. So okay. I'm, <laughs> Hope you're not feeling poorly. No, no, I'm, I'm fine. I, um, okay. Uh, I, um, I'll run this by the people who are um, with our vaccine task force. Okay. I, I do believe that um, they did enroll some people in the trial had tested positive um, for antibodies for SARS-CoV-2, so that there were some people in the trial that, um, so that could have been part of that evidence base, Um, but I'll certainly check um, on on your question. It it Um, looks, yeah, it looks like they enrolled 1,303 subjects who had previous evidence of prior infection. And uh, there were 633 in the uh, vaccine group and 670 in the placebo group. And after the first shot, 10 uh, subjects in uh, in the vaccine group had uh, COVID symptoms and nine in the placebo group had COVID symptoms. Now, after the second shot, it turns out there were there were still 526 in the vaccine group who had a prior positive uh, indication for you know prior infection, and one of those got COVID. And then if we look at the placebo group, there were still 576 with evidence of prior infection uh, in the study after the second shot, and one of those got COVID. So they're basically only two sample points 
uh, and and there's one person in each that got COVID. Okay, now, to be clear, he, Congressman Massey, is going through the data that shows these little subsamples in this Pfizer study that looked at people who'd already had coronavirus and then got the vaccine, plus a placebo group that already had coronavirus and didn't get the vaccine, that the results did not show the vaccine helped, that the same number in the placebo group and in the vaccine group became reinfected with coronavirus. In fact, after the first dose, more people in the vaccine group became reinfected with coronavirus if they'd had coronavirus previously than in the placebo group. It's a negative, what they call efficacy. There's nothing that you can draw in terms of conclusion of that because the study wasn't designed to answer this question. I think they probably went ahead and analyzed this data hoping for some hint of something positive. And the sample's not big enough to draw a conclusion that the vaccine negatively impacts people who previously had coronavirus, but neither is there anything in the study to suggest or draw a conclusion from that says it helps people who previously had coronavirus. And that's the point that Congressman Massey is making to the CDC director of the Washington, D.C. office. Let's continue. And uh, it turns out it's a smaller fraction of the placebo group, but it's such a small number, I don't think you could extrapolate anything from it. Right. So I, um, what I think happened is they probably cut and pasted from the sentence you read me first, mm-hmm. which is there were no adverse reactions or or whatever that was. No mm-hmm. significant difference right. in it. Yeah. Right. Um, let, let, let me check in with our vaccine task force and, and see what they, um, what they have to say about it. And, um, and I will, um, okay. either I will get back to you right away or I'll see if someone that okay. can speak more of the data can get back to you right, right. away. The, um, and if you want to, the, the, uh, where I'm looking at this data from is the presentation. It's a slide deck, uh, from the FDA, Susan Wallersheim is the author and it was December 10th. Uh, and this is where there was a slide deck with 60 plus slides. And the two slides I'm looking at are page 25 and page 30. And the slide deck is called, there's a lot of stuff on the front page, but uh, it, it says vaccines and related biological products, advisory committee meeting, I know there's an acronym for that. I should have just given you that. (laughs) And then, then, but the title of the slide deck is FDA Review of Efficacy and Safety of Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 Vaccine Emergency Youth Authorization Request. Okay. So, and I think I I got that FDA uh, slide deck from the CDC. Uh, Somehow it's linked there from the CDC. So... I'm sure they have it. Okay. Uh, yes, I'm sure they will. But what I think, I think it's just a typo, honestly, where somebody cut and pasted from that sentence you were saying, which seems mm-hmm. to be supported by the data. And if they had just left off the part, as well as among participants with evidence of previous SARS-CoV-2 infection. And the reason I think this is important is uh, we don't want people who've already had the infection rushing to get 
the vaccine if because they think it's efficacious when in fact we don't have data showing that and i to your all's credit i think somewhere on your website it does say that people should probably wait three months if they've already had the virus that they could probably wait three months or something before they get the vaccine okay so sorry to overload you with so much stuff but, but no no it's um i'm a uh, really fast typist. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so I took good notes, and I'll uh, let me check in with our vaccine passport and get right back to you. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. Sure, my pleasure. Okay, bye bye. So very friendly at that point because Congressman Massey thinks he's going to get an answer to his question. He's, as he later told me, being, I guess, polite by saying, "I think you guys just made a typo." Because really, it's, it's not a typo. It's not possible as a typo. There was false information inserted in this paper, in this information from the CDC, incorrectly claiming that the Pfizer vaccine study showed that this vaccine proved effective for people who's, who have previously had coronavirus, that it served some benefit to them. And that's the opposite of what the study showed. So next, Congressman Massey gets a call back. Uh, The CDC Washington, D.C. director, Anstis Brand, did get CDC's Captain Amanda Cohn, a doctor, on the phone to talk about this. Now, Amanda Cohn is one of the people who signed off on this false information, and she's on the Immunization Advisory Committee. So she's a good person to address this discrepancy with. And to summarize that phone call, Dr. Amanda Cohen actually thanked Dr. Massey for finding their mistake. She said, quote, you actually picked up on something that was changed just very last minute, and we did not pick up on it before it was published. And in the conversation, she says, you're the first person to reach out about this. And she explains that that wrong sentence was actually trying to say that The point of the sentence was to suggest that people do not need to test for antibodies before they get vaccinated. And she said, this is a quote, literally nobody had picked up on it, meaning the mistake, including us, when we read the version that was published. So everybody's very impressed. She's complimenting Congressman Massey for catching the mistake. Really, I think it's sort of inexplicable that 15 top scientists who supposedly were familiar with the Pfizer study and reviewed it, didn't see, and that surely the vaccine companies themselves read and didn't catch, and that nobody at CDC saw that this information had been inserted from nowhere in this guidance. And Dr. Cohen went on to confirm what Thomas Massey, Congressman Massey, had been concerned about, that given that there are limited doses right now, the people who have previously had coronavirus should wait to get a vaccine because they are presumed, the vast majority of them, immune for some period of time, at least a year and perhaps more. But again, Dr. Cohen goes on to say, if you don't know if you had coronavirus, then just go ahead and get vaccinated. And then she slips in there that, by the way, our recommendation for vaccines in general is you can still get vaccinated if you've had prior infection which again starts to get at the question of should you, if you have the natural immunity presumed conferred by the infection, 
should you get vaccines? And listen to her wording again. Our recommendation for vaccines in general are you can get vaccinated if you've had prior infection. It doesn't really say you should. It just says you can. But in this case, with coronavirus, there are limited doses. And so they seem to be in agreement that that's not a good idea for the current situation. The millions of people who've had coronavirus can and should wait so that they don't take valuable, precious doses of vaccines away from people who haven't had coronavirus and so therefore are considered at much higher risk for getting the disease and getting sick. A bit later in the same conversation, Congressman Massey actually points out to Dr. Cohen that really what the studies did show for people who previously had coronavirus, that a higher percentage of them became infected after vaccination than those who didn't get a vaccine. Although that's not considered a scientific finding that conclusions can be drawn from, but he's basically pointing out there was the opposite of the finding of efficacy or effectiveness for people who previously had coronavirus when they got the vaccine. So as Dr. Cohen of CDC talks about, yes, we will address this, he starts to, Congressman Massey, try to press her as to, well, how are you going to fix it and when? Because he says a lot of times when things like this are misreported in the beginning, it's kind of hard to correct it in public depending on how you do it. And Dr. Cohen says we can publish on errata, which is, I guess I would say, a scientific term for a correction of a scientific publication. And she said they will be talking about it and what they ought to do. And then, again, finishes with sort of effusive praise of Congressman Massey for catching this mistake that none of the scientists at CDC caught. She says, we can't be perfect. We know we're going to miss things, but... It gave us a smile that you reached out to us. It was very impressive. You will forever be known in our office as the eagle-eyed man. And so that was the end of that call. Next, I'm going to insert something that happened in chronological order, although this was not something Congressman Massey knew about until after the fact. Two days after that phone call with CDC's Dr. Cohen, who'd promised to fix that mistaken information, Dr. Cohen joined other CDC doctors in repeating the false information. And this time it was in a webinar, an online session for medical professionals. They wrongly claimed, again, that studies show people who've had coronavirus do benefit from the vaccine. The first voice you hear will be Dr. Amanda Cohen of CDC asking another CDC immunization advisor, Dr. Sarah Oliver, the question of, should people who've had COVID-19 get the vaccine? Listen to, again, Dr. Cohen ask the question and what Dr. Oliver's answer is. So, uh, Sarah Oliver, uh, what uh, should people who have had COVID-19 uh, be vaccinated? And should they be vaccinated now? Now listen to the response from Dr. Sarah Oliver of CDC. Data from both clinical trials suggest that people with prior infection are still likely to benefit from vaccination. That's false. And that's the information that Congressman Massey had already flagged, that Dr. Cohen had agreed was incorrect. And now here she is asking that question explicitly so that Dr. Oliver can answer it so that medical professionals are now, whether intentionally or not, misled by this information and think that 
data supports this position that people who've had coronavirus benefit from the coronavirus vaccine. That was in December. So fast forward, Christmas goes by, some weeks passed, and about a month after CDC promised Congressman Massey that it would correct the false information, he looks and it's still on CDC's website. So what does he do? He calls CDC back to find out why this information was never changed and instead seemed to be getting spread far and wide with more and more people who've had coronavirus rushing out to get vaccinated when there are limited doses and when they, according to scientists, need it the least and could be taking vaccines from those who need it the most. So Congressman Massey says when he calls back CDC officials, well, here's what he said about that. So I called them up on Tuesday as soon as I could to ask them why it hadn't been fixed. And it was like I was starting all over with the same people. And instead of fixing it, they proposed repeating it and just phrasing their mistake differently. So this next call is again with the head, the CDC director of the Washington, D.C. office, Anstis Brand. And this is where I think you get a sense of what I call, this is my interpretation based on my experience with things like this over the past two decades, I call sort of the double-talking in circles, which they're starting with, I believe here, with Congressman Massey as he tries to find out why they're still saying the same thing that they promised to correct a month ago. So um, the reason I'm calling is I'm a little bit puzzled that the um, document that we talked about that had the sentence that wasn't borne out by the data went from being a draft to being official after we spoke and the thing we talked about didn't get changed. And um, now my concern is that I see 20-something-year-olds here in Kentucky getting a vaccine uh, based on the notion that it provides some benefit to them, even though they've already had COVID. And uh, the vaccines are scarce in Kentucky. And what I'm concerned about is the CDC guidance is is sort of encouraging people to do that. And and uh, again, we the data showed that there wasn't a problem there wasn't like any extra side effects uh, and so that there wouldn't be a harm in getting the vaccine. But the, the harm here is that the vaccine is scarce. And so people are using that advisement from the CDC just like I was concerned they would use it. So can you tell me what happened when you tried to fix it? So, so I think that, um, and I, I hope I capture this accurately without, without my um, subject matter expert on the line. Right. Um, I did, when I heard that you were calling, I quickly emailed her to just ask her what happened with the language and um, just to confirm. I think um, what they did, I mean, the, the first report that you read it in was not a draft report. That was our morbidity and mortality weekly report. And I think the feeling was that the, um, the they wanted to clarify the language in the next um, recommendation report. So they they did that. They did change it in the in the next one to clarify it further. I think the recommendation still um, is the case that even if someone has had COVID, because there's no certainty around um, what kind of protection that can 
prolong that immunity would last or what type of immunity um, prior infection provides that we still would recommend getting the vaccine. I think if... Would you, would you um, recommend it? You know, I think... But would you recommend it if there's a shortage of vaccines? Okay, so this is again where it gets kind of twisted up. They, meaning CDC, keep arguing that people who've had coronavirus should still get the vaccine because we don't know, maybe it will have some benefit to them. But that's separate from the question at hand. Why is there false information? If this is the policy they want, Congressman Massey is saying that's your business if you want everybody to get vaccinated regardless of whether a benefit is shown. But you can't do that by citing science that doesn't exist by making up information or giving misinformation to support that position. And part two of that is, should you be saying everybody should get the vaccine even if they may not need it, or even if there's no benefit, when there's a shortage? And there's certainly a population that actually does need it, according to scientists, versus the ones who've had coronavirus and presumably have some measure of immunity already. The the practical problem I see is that People are using the guidance and that paper, which didn't get corrected to like, let's say a 30 year old in the accounting department at a hospital who had COVID last fall is they're still getting the vaccines. Meanwhile, we have 70 year old plus people in Kentucky who can't get it. And, you know, the, the accounting department at the hospital is is not, I mean, that's our, if somebody there is 30 years old and already had the vaccine, they're getting bad or already had the virus and recovered and beyond that 90 day window there, they would look to that document, which we agreed that sentence was not supported by the data. Are you, did you say that I thought there was going to be an errata issued or the document was going to get fixed, but if you go to the, the same link. By the way, the date on the paper changed from December 12th to December 18th. It was the MMR thing on December 12th, but the thing, the thing that's there now says December 18th. Right. So the difference is the um, the first one. It's um, the morbidity and mortality weekly report, and it um, it characterizes the recommendations of the CDC Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices. Um, That advisory committee... Okay, this gets a little bit technical. I'm going to skip ahead to the next argument that begins now that you'll start to hear more about. Now, there seems to be an argument by CDC that this mistake, which was really undeniably blatantly an error, a mistake, false information, was not really a mistake technically inaccurate but um but i think i think the feeling was that they didn't they didn't issue an erratum because they didn't view it as technically an error they thought that language was confusing so they tried to clarify it further in the in the next version of the recommendation so it's technically the the one on the 12th is different from the one on the 18th they're not the same 
they're not the same set of recommendations. But I think um, I think the the most important part of it. Okay, now instead of talking about again the factually incorrect information that has not been corrected, it's back to CDC arguing that you should still get the vaccine even if you've had coronavirus, which is really a separate issue that's related, but sort of avoiding the whole notion of how did this false information get signed off by 15 scientists and why isn't it being fixed? It is that they don't, um, I don't, I believe they don't view previous infection with COVID. Um, they don't have enough evidence to support um, that there's sufficient immunity that people don't need to get a vaccine. She's arguing that there is not evidence to say people should not get the vaccine, but she's failing to note that this whole controversy is that there's no evidence to support that they're helped by the vaccine, even though CDC is claiming the contrary. I, what I'm looking at is a December 18th document that has the exact same uh, incorrect statement in it. Like the problem with the, the problem is not with the advice. The problem is with the paper that says something that's just absolutely not true. The paper said that the vaccine is 90, is greater than 92% efficacious regardless of sex, age, race, and prior uh, or evidence of prior infection for COVID. It, what the data of the, and it, was, it wasn't about a recommendation, it was talking about what the data showed, but the data did not show that. And we, we all agreed on December 16th that the data did not show that, that it, it showed there was no difference in terms of reinfection rates between the placebo group and the vaccine group if you had evidence of a prior infection. And that's why I think it's important. It's still to this day important to fix that because people don't dig back down into 96 pages of data like I did. They look at the two or three page paper that that advisory committee with an impressive list of, you know, doctors and PhDs wrote, you know, a three page summary but it had a sentence in it that was wrong. Um, I need to go back and find it, and I'm, I'm happy to send it to you again, and um, I'm happy to check on your question as well. Um, are, you, are, you telling me, are, are you telling me that something that we, uh, me and, and uh, Amanda Cohen, I remember she was the one on the phone, we agreed that the sentence was yeah. inaccurate, and we agreed that it would be fixed somehow with an errata or by changing the document. But you're telling me there's not going to be anything on that landing site that says that that sentence is wrong. Let me check back with her. Okay. Um, my understanding is that they viewed it not as an error, but as not clear language. Um, and so they tried to further clarify it in the, in the next um, report. So again, repeating over and over again something that doesn't make sense. If you read the sentence, it's completely wrong. There's no other way to interpret it. They agreed to that a month ago. And now sort of talking in circles about 
Maybe it's not technically wrong. Maybe it's just unclear. Maybe we don't need to issue a correction. I want to take a look at it and, and get back to you if that's all right. Okay. If, if they pushed back and did not want to fix it, I would like to know who they is. I don't want to, I'm not, I understand that it's a big organization and you're in the DC office, but if there's a they who is refusing to fix something that is factually and provably wrong, I want to know who they is because this is going to result and it's already resulting in misallocation of the virus or of the vaccine. Okay. okay, more as these phone calls continue right after a short break. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Americans are rightly alarmed by the increasingly tight grip on the news and information by special interests, corporate interests, and big tech. In my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, I tell the important inside story of how we got here and the Orwellian world where we will find ourselves if the course isn't altered. Pick up a copy of Slanted today. We're back and we are continuing with an increasingly frustrated Congressman from Kentucky, a scientist himself, Thomas Massey, trying to find out from CDC why they not only have misinformation, very important misinformation, in their guidance to medical professionals and others that falsely claims studies show that the coronavirus vaccines are effective for people who've previously had coronavirus. And he's trying to find out why it's on there and why it continues to exist weeks after they admitted it was wrong after he flagged it. And next is a conversation with Dr. Sarah Oliver. She is the CDC scientist who gave the misinformation on that web video I played before the break, the web video that was aimed at doctors that furthered the disinformation just a couple of days after another CDC official had acknowledged in a call with Congressman Massey that the information was wrong and they were all present for this web video when the misinformation was repeated. So this is Congressman Massey talking to Dr. Sarah Oliver of CDC. Hello. Hi, this is Congressman Thomas Massey. Is this Dr. Oliver? Yes. How are you doing? Hey, I am calling because um, I read a paper December 13th that was put out by the CDC, uh, reviewed the FDA review of the Pfizer data. And in that paper, there was an error. And I noticed you're an author on it. And I wondered if I could get your help in getting this error corrected. The, the, the The sentence that is wrong says that the 
vaccine is 92% efficacious for uh, participants with evidence of prior infection. And this, the study actually doesn't show that at all. Okay, this is worth diving into. It's something I couldn't do in my full measure story because it's so convoluted and it sounds so ridiculous and it's very hard to explain. But what it looked like the CDC scientists wanted to do rather than issue a correction and change that sentence and admit that the studies for the vaccines do not show effectiveness for people who've had coronavirus, instead of admitting that, They wanted to change the wording in a way that looks to me, to Congressman Massey, and to other scientists I talked to like it's still the same thing they're saying, still the same error, but cleverly worded in a way with some wordsmithing that they think makes it accurate. And what they're trying to say is they want to take this small subset of people in the Pfizer study, the small subset of people who'd had coronavirus before, and got the vaccine, and it was not effective for them, but group them into the whole study and say it was still 92% effective for people with and without prior infection of coronavirus because you've now grouped the people that it didn't work for in with the total number of people that it did work for who didn't previously had coronavirus, and they think they can make a statement that says it's 92% effective for people with or without previous coronavirus infection, and that statement's true. Now, obviously, this implies that it's 92% effective, at least it implies to most ordinary people, and the scientists that I spoke to as well, falsely implies that the study proved the vaccine was 92% effective for people who'd previously had coronavirus. And in fact, it was not. The study showed no effectiveness But again, they're trying to, you'll start hearing this, what I call double talk, as they try to say, we can just fix this with a few words. We can group the people that it didn't work for in with the people that it did work for and still say that it's 92% effective. So that's what CDC is referring to if you hear them say with or without previous infection. When they say with or without, this is what they're getting at to try to fix this in a way that Congressman Massey and others I spoke to say is just as misleading as the original misinformation. Yeah, but it didn't show that. It, in fact, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't 92% efficacious. The placebo wasn't, and the actual vaccine wasn't. In fact, the people who had evidence of prior infection were way more likely to be reinfected if you study the data regardless of whether they had the virus or not, whether, whether they had the vaccine yeah, or not. Yeah, the 92% is when you combine the with or without. That was the secondary point. But, um, and the fact that if you look at just those without, um, that doesn't have a 92%. The, the with or without does. But it's not 92% efficacious, re- regardless of... It's actually, if you look at the data, the FDA's summary of it, they, they show that it's not efficacious at all if you've had prior infection. So to lump them in to the, to the, to the, with everybody else and say it's 92% efficacious 
is like really misleading. So, so the study did look at it with and without combining everybody. That was a secondary Correct. point of the trial. Correct. And that is what showed the 92%. If you pull out just the handful of people with, with prior infection. There were 1,200. Yeah, there were there were twelve hundred. Right, there were twelve hundred with prior infection, roughly six hundred in the placebo group, six hundred in the non-placebo group. Of of the six hundred, ten who received the vaccine got reinfected after the first shot, and nine who didn't receive the vaccine got reinfected after the first shot of placebo, and then after the second shot, the vaccine group had one person who got uh, reinfected and the placebo group had one person. The fact that they're, they're, they have the same result means that there was no difference between the placebo group and the vaccine group. So you can't say it's efficacious. The, the study doesn't show that. You can't say it's efficacious for people with prior infection. That's an absolutely untrue sentence. And here's here's why I'm concerned, Doctor. There were a total, yeah, there were a total of four events. So, I, I mean, I'm looking at the data. Yep. <laughs> there were a total uh, of that severe disease. This is what I call, and I've had these conversations and stories I've done over the decades with public health officials who are saying things that I think to ordinary but smart people who aren't scientists, they're saying things that don't make any sense or may even be incorrect, but they simply keep repeating it as if you don't understand. It's what I call the up is down conversation. They just keep saying up is down and up is down. But again, as I'm pointing out, Congressman Thomas Massey is a an MIT award-winning scientist, and it's he's just not given up. When they're saying these things to him, he's pointing out the lack of logic or accuracy in the things that they're trying to say or argue. Um, so the, the secondary, I'm, I'm not trying to, to argue, I'm saying like the, the secondary endpoint was Correct. with and without. Yes. They, they said they were going um, Correct. to look at that. There was, that, that was uh, what we were citing. Right, and there's one in each group. There, like there's one in the placebo group at the secondary endpoint, and one in the vaccine group at the secondary endpoint who got reinfected. And when you look at the FDA, so like I know one one data point is almost as useless as no data points, but if you consider the yeah, fact, I certainly wouldn't say that it's not efficacious because the study was not powered correct which you can't because there's not enough data points but you can't say that the study showed that it is efficacious you can't say that now in my view she knows this because she has a medical degree and she knows that she's arguing something that doesn't really make sense she knows before congresswoman massey tells her that there cannot be an argument that the study shows it's efficacious the vaccine for people who've previously had coronavirus, but instead of just accepting it, this sort of, as I call, double talk continues. For for yeah, for people with prior I infection. Can, 
And here's why I'm concerned. There are people in Kentucky uh, who are 30 years old. They're working in the accounting department at a hospital. They had COVID back in August and they are getting the vaccine. And there are people who are 70 who've not had COVID, who've been in, you know, batting down in their house for a year and they can't get the vaccine because you've got these 30 some year olds who think that the trials showed that there's a benefit from this vaccine to them, even if they've already had COVID and recovered. But the trial did not show that. And now we will hear the CDC, Dr. Sarah Oliver, go back to arguing that people they're still recommending should get the coronavirus vaccine, even if they've had prior infection, distracting again away from the point, which is, You could say that or recommend that if you want, says Congressman Massey, but you cannot post false information or base it on something you've said about a study that isn't true. And particularly when there there is a limited number of vaccines, you're encouraging people who need vaccination the least, according to scientists, because they have immunity, to take it or get in line for it. And that takes doses from people who may need it the most. We are still recommending that even individuals who have had prior infection receive the vaccine. We have said that in a setting of limited, um, with limited doses, those who had recent prior infection could hold off on, um, you know, getting the vaccine right away because reinfection is uncommon in the first several months after infection. All of that is absolutely true, but we're we're not saying that people who had prior infection should not receive the vaccine. We, this is the problem. We have governors and people setting health policy, and they're looking at a document on the CDC website that says the vaccine is 92% efficacious, regardless of race, ethnicity, age, or evidence of prior infection. And that, would, that may be true for race, ethnicity, and age, but it's not true for evidence of prior infection. And so they take that and they, they, they're encouraging everybody, regardless of prior infection, to get the vaccine. But the, and, you know, there may be a study someday that shows that there's a benefit, but there, that study doesn't exist today. And here again, the circle back away from addressing the fact that there is incorrect information that's being put out by CDC to instead this recommendation. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're still recommending that individuals who had prior infection receive the vaccine. We've said that individuals with prior infection um, can wait because reinfection is uncommon in the first, um, you know, several months after infection. That is absolutely true. Um, but we wouldn't want to put out that if you had COVID before, you shouldn't get the vaccine. Actually, if you've had COVID before and there's a 75-year-old person who can't get the vaccine and you're 30 years old, you, are, you should not get the vaccine because you are wasting resource. It will, it will lead to people who, who die or have medical complications because we have a limitation of the vaccine. That's why I think it's important that that document get fixed. Let's... Think again about what's happening here. 
someone outside the CDC who should know far less about the science and the studies than these CDC experts who have signed off on the incorrect information is having to convince the people in charge of public health policy and recommendations on vaccination that they need to correct this disinformation because now they have willfully decided not to correct it, at least up to this point, and defended it as maybe technically not wrong or something that they don't need to fix. So again, an outsider is having to talk to people who I think, based on their education and position, do know exactly what he's talking about and do know better, but are sort of, again, continuing to talk in circles rather than give up and say, yes, we need to correct the misinformation and make it clear. And there was a, there's a YouTube, a webinar that you participated in. We're at 21 minutes and 15 seconds. Again, you say that the uh, that the trial showed benefit from the vaccine if you've had evidence of prior infection. Dr. Cohen asked you that if it did, and you said it did. I said we, we recommend the vaccine. No, you, you, you specifically referred to the trials. So here, Congressman Massey is telling... Dr. Sarah Oliver of CDC, that he saw this video in which after a couple of days where he'd flagged this disinformation and they said they were going to fix it, he saw that she and the very CDC doctor that he'd spoken to went ahead and kept repeating it in this important guidance and instruction from medical professionals. In fact, they went out of their way to make it a question and answer that they asked each other that specifically resulted in spreading this disinformation. And she's trying to answer Congressman Massey, who's now telling her that he's seen that video. Okay, I can um, I can talk with MMWR um, and and with Dr. Cohen and see um, if if we can tweak that language a little bit to be more consistent um, with the language that's in the trial that 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 secondary efficacy There's that phrase again, with and without prior infection. That's where I'm telling you that they are talking about fixing this mistake by, in the view of Congressman Massey and other scientists I spoke to, obfuscating it further. Not really by fixing it, but by grouping the people that the vaccine didn't work for, who had prior coronavirus infection, in with all the people that it did work for and then claiming it was 92% effective for all of them, including the group that it didn't work for. Okay, next, after that phone call, Congressman Massey gets a return call, hearing again from the CDC director of the Washington, D.C. office, Anstice Brand, who hopes she has a solution. But remember what I told you, they're talking about fixing or correcting this information in the context of something that some are saying will ultimately only double down on the mistake and make it more confusing. So I did, um, I, I spoke with, um, with a few people, including um, uh, Sarah Oliver, who I understand you spoke with as yes. well. Yeah. Um, so this is in the underlying clinical guidance document that we're planning to publish this information. And I think, I'm hoping that this will make you happy because it 
really gets at the specific point that you raised. And I, um, I inartfully articulated um, this point, um, and, and Dr. Cohn corrected me a bit, that it's a pretty nuanced message, which is um, you're, you're right that, um, you're exactly right that we, and we are continuing to promote the idea that people with prior COVID infection um, may uh, opt to defer vaccination in a setting of limited um, vaccine. So, um, so we will make that point more, more clearly in our underlying clinical guidance. Um, and um, there's no recommended minimum um, interval, um, so no, no specific time. But we do want, um, we do make the point that we want all people to get the vaccine eventually. Um, and in the context of, um, of sufficient supply that people, um, we would encourage all people to get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's where she tells him that's really what his point was, which was not at all really what his point was. Listen. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first point, and that's the underlying key um, uh, message that I think you wanted clarified, that people with prior infection in the context of limited supply um, could opt to defer um, vaccination until a time when there's, um, when there's sufficient supply for everyone. Well, what um, the thing, right. Oh, the, thing, the thing I wanted to correct is the CDC's interpretation of the uh, Pfizer trial, because there is no evidence from the Pfizer trial that the vaccine is efficacious for people that have had evidence of prior infection. Yet the, the guidance doesn't just imply that there is, it says that there is. That there's no evidence from the Pfizer trial, trial right. that the vaccine is efficacious in, For, in people with right. prior infection. Correct. None. So, Zero. And so there may be another study that comes out that says that there is, or there may be the intuition of people who think that what could it hurt? Let's go ahead and do it. But the CDC has the document that says that the trial shows that it's efficacious, but the trial doesn't. That wasn't my understanding of, of that, of, of the concern with that sentence, because I think that the, um, I think our view was, or the, the, the view of the authors of the article was that it wasn't technically inaccurate as written. Remember her saying that because they keep circling back to that and he's going to get Congressman Massey finally a bit frustrated with this insistence and this talking in circles. That they would have preferred if it had said with and without um, and that as written, it's not clear, but it's not exactly inaccurate. Let me, let, me use a, let me use an analogy. Okay. <laughs> so the sentence also, it, it infers the same thing for effica- efficacy across race, sex, uh, and age. Mm-hmm. I think those are three of the other categories that are used in the same sentence. Yeah, and ethnicity. Okay. And people yeah. with underlying medical conditions. Right. So 
it would be equivalent to if the vaccine actually showed that it didn't work in African-Americans. But when you included African-Americans in the 38,000 person trial, you could say it was still 92% efficacious, the vaccine. But that's like, that's not how you write science papers. That's like misleading. It's inaccurate. If you knew that you wouldn't include a subgroup in the sentence, if you knew that the subgroup received no benefit. So, so the way I've heard it explained, you know, like when Sarah Oliver explained it, that's what she explained. She was like, well, if you put everybody in, then the sentence is true. But it's not, this is not, this like, we're not trying to word game. We're trying to do science. And when you do science, you don't put sentences in that mislead people. Like, I'm literally trying to make this point to people. And they go find your document. And they say, no, the CDC says that it, the vaccine is 92% efficacious if you've had whether you've had uh, evidence of prior infection or not. That is not true. The sentence is not true. I mean, the fact that someone is having to explain this to somebody who I know is intelligent and either not understanding or pretending not to understand, but I'm pretty sure you do, and to have to be talking to CDC about their own guidance this way, you can hear the frustration. I um, I can make that point again. I think they're, the concern that they have is that when when they issue an erratum, that there there's always sort of a risk benefit of you know whether that will cause additional confusion. I th- now they're saying if they correct the misinformation, they're worried that that will cause confusion. I think from their view. It's not technically inaccurate as written that they, um, I think their view is that it's, um, it is not very clearly worded, um, that, um, that they certainly wish that it was more clearly worded, um, than it, than it is. Um, but they are, um, taking the, the concern up with the with the MMWR editor um, to consider the sort of underlying public health risk benefit of, of making that change. So what I hear her saying, although she may not say this is her interpretation, is if we fix the error, people might be confused. Therefore, it's better for public health to leave the misinformation there. I think, you know, often when, if there's a... Um, if there's something in a document like this that is causing confusion, they often hear about it from, um, you know, across the board. You know, when, when mm-hmm. we issued our updated testing guidance, we got calls from every state health department, you know, right. saying it doesn't make any sense and explain it further. And I think, you know, we were um, duly impressed um, with your um with your interpretation of the data. Again, complimenting him, remember, as they did before. So thank you so much for catching this. How did we all miss it? Um, But the concern is that they, um, 
they cause additional confusion by uh, by issuing a clarification on something that they haven't heard a, a lot of um, a lot of confusion around. Well, there's no confusion because everybody thinks the vaccine helps you uh, if even if you've already had the virus. He points out rightly so that she's arguing maybe we don't need to fix the misinformation because you're the only one that's caught the problem and it'll confuse people if we fix it. And he's saying people aren't confused because you haven't left any confusion on the table. You've simply said something that is false that they're taking at face value. Well, like, I think they, I and think that's, they do think that. I think right. they do. They are under that impression. They, and, they do want everyone to get the vaccine. And, and, and that might be the impression that the CDC is trying to project, but this, the Pfizer data doesn't show that. And this is the way, you know, there's, I know there's science and then there's public perception. But the way science works is when you find out something's wrong, you, you clarify it. And, well, I, and again, I think they, they are operating under the, the assumption that it's not wrong, that it's, that it's um, not as clearly worded <laughs> as it could be. Right. Well, it's provably wrong. It's provably wrong. There's no way you can parse that sentence in the English language and, and say that it gives the reader the correct impression. We'll continue with these calls right after a short break. The news as we once knew it no longer exists. It's become a product molded and shaped to suit the narrative. Facts that don't fit are omitted. Off-narrative people and views are controversialized or neatly deposited down the memory hole. My new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, is filled with important context regarding the death of the news as we once knew it. Pick up your copy of Slanted today. We're back, and Congressman Thomas Massey, who has been talking to CDC scientists now, off and on for a period of a couple of weeks, has been unsuccessful in getting them to actually make a correction that they committed to do, at least he thought they committed to do, a month earlier in December. The CDC scientists that he's speaking with and officials seem to be digging in and kind of going around in circles about whether really it's a mistake after all to say that a study shows the coronavirus vaccines work in people who've had coronavirus, that it somehow benefits them. That's the opposite of what the studies found, but CDC has incorrectly claimed this and refusing so far to fix the error and in fact doubling down and repeating the error after it was drawn to their attention. As Congressman Massey presses the point, there seems to be a bit of a negotiation being offered on the part of the CDC that if they just change a couple of words, that maybe it will make it right without confusing people too much. But the problem is, the way Congressman Massey sees the changes they want to make, it's wordsmithing. It's still implying the same incorrect information. I was trying to think of a simple way to explain what they're proposing. And it's as if you interviewed 100 people to see if they like spinach or not. And 95% of them, 95 of them said, they love spinach, 
Five of them said they didn't love spinach. In fact, they hated spinach. And by the way, those five were the only children of the hundreds. So 95 adults all loved spinach. Five children didn't love spinach or hated spinach. The total outcome of that study would be 95% of the people asked love spinach. But what CDC seems to be trying to do is to group all of the children, the five children, all of whom hated spinach, in with the adults who love spinach and say that 95% of them love spinach, when in fact, none of the children love spinach. I don't know if that's any clearer or if that's still as clear as mud, but this is akin to the correction that they're trying to get Congressman Massey to accept if they make. Right now, he's still debating or discussing this with the head of CDC's Washington, D.C. office, the director, Anstis Brand. And I thought, I thought like, that, that you and me and uh, uh, Amanda Cohen were, yeah, were on the same page on that. Like, when you all saw it, or at least when Dr. Cohen saw it, she was like, you're right. We didn't, we didn't see this. We, uh, we didn't catch it. And then, yeah, I think that I, what she um, what she had said originally was we wish that we had included the word or without um, in in the original, um, but somehow that set that um, that two words was was left off of the final. Pointing out that those two words that they're offering to add now to correct it don't correct. I think for most casual readers or even scientific readers don't correct the misimpression at all. And these words that they want to add to make the correction still would imply that the vaccine studies proved effective for people who'd previously had coronavirus when it turned out to be the opposite. Which, which is why I, you know, uh, I characterized it as a typo mm-hmm. to, to be generous, but mm-hmm. I, it's false information. It's not like a misspelling. Mm-hmm. So, so it's if, if it if it did have that additional word from your perspective, would it be accurate then? With, that it's ninety two percent efficacious. I'd have to look with at the same. or without evidence of previous SARS CoV two infection. No, that's wrong. It's not ninety two percent efficacious if with prior evidence. You could you could write a sentence, but you'd have to totally you'd have to say, you know, without regard for any of the factors, we found that this was when you throw everybody in, that it's efficacious uh, in general. Like, there's there's no way to fix that sentence without like just taking out the part about whether the, the vaccine is efficacious for somebody with evidence of prior infection. Okay, I see, I see. Um, well, I will, um, I will share your concern with them. I, um, you know, I, I, I do think that they are, um, I think that the underlying issue that, um, that is the concern which is um, to make sure people understand that if they have prior infection, right. that they can defer the vaccine if they choose to in the context of limited supply. I think that will, fortunately, that will be additionally clarified 
um, later this week. Now she's telling him that that's his main concern and telling him that they're addressing that. That's not what he's described as his main concern, although that's related. Um, I, I will take your, um, your concern back to them. I know that they are, um, you know, they, they really want to be um, certain that they're, that any change that they make is grounded in, um, you know, making sure they're doing the best thing right. for public health outcome. Right. I'm not trying to, I'm not saying they should change their message. I'm saying they should report the science the way the science is. And here's, here's why it's important, because there are people like doctors or just people like me who will dig down and say, okay, what does it really say? And they may only get as far as the CDC summary, which says something that is not scientifically accurate. I mean, my understanding from talking this through with them is that they, their feeling was that it's not, um, that it's not technically inaccurate the way it's written i understand that you you um have a different opinion about that by the way uh, dr oliver there's a youtube of uh when it was uh amanda dr cohen and dr oliver and another doctor who were giving guidance and dr oliver said in no uncertain terms that the trial showed that there was benefit to people with prior infection. Like it wasn't a, it wasn't a messaging thing. She herself misstated um, what the, the facts. So I think internally it could, I'm, I'm pulling up the sentence here to see the sent. I want to see if I can. And if, if this sentence is correct in some form, I want to know what form it's correct in. So I'll read it to you. Consistent high efficacy greater than 92% was observed across. Okay, so when it says consistent and across, it means they're looking into these subgroups. Okay, consistent high... I have it in front of me too, so okay. I'm, I'm reading along with you. Consistent, so that doesn't mean generally. And then it says was observed across age, sex, race, and ethnicity categories. In other words, when you drill down in the categories, the, the efficacy is greater than 92% in each of the categories. And among persons with underlying medical conditions, as well as among participants with evidence of pre previous SARS-CoV-2 infection. Mm -hmm. what, what makes that correct? How is that correct? I can't understand how they're saying that's correct. Well, again, I, I need to go back to them and, and go through the data with them. I, um, you know, I wanted to get back to you quickly and let you know that we were updating our guidance and, um, and would um, additionally consider a, um, an, an addition to the um, to the NFWR. Um, but I'll have to go back to them to to talk through the data and make sure I understand that aspect of it. So they're, but they're telling you the sentence is correct, maybe not technically correct, but there's some universe in which that sentence is correct. And I'm saying there is no universe in which that sentence is correct. Right. But <laughs> so, if you could yeah. explain it to me, I am here and I'll shut up for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let, let me ask them for some additional detail. And, okay. Um, and, and I will... Um, 
I will get back to you. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. (laughs) Appreciate it. Bye-bye. We have one more call to go through, and I'm not playing all of the calls. These go on far longer than even I've synopsized here, but it's much of the same, just sort of round and round, going over the same material over and over again. The last call is with Congressman Massey and Dr. Shuket, Dr. Ann Shuket, who I believe is now number two at the Centers for Disease Control. I know she's been there a long time working on vaccine issues. Um, well, if you, I'm happy to hear your concerns directly so that I, I make sure I speak to them. Oh, okay. So uh, on December the 16th, I, I discovered there was some incorrect information in a document on the CDC website. Well, Amanda Cohn said that, in fact, what I found was a mistake. It wasn't true. And um, that they would fix it somehow. That was the impression I was given. And then a month later, I was surprised. I went back and it's all still there. And the and the misinformation's been propagated since then in the in the um, in reprints and slideshows and things like that. And uh, meanwhile, I'm getting information from anecdotal, but I could track it down, uh, that people in Kentucky, like 30-something-year-olds who work in the accounting departments in hospitals who've already had COVID are getting the vaccine um, when 70-year-olds aren't because we've run out of vaccine. But there's this impression that was propagated from that CDC paper that the vaccine trial showed some benefit of the vaccine to those who've been previously infected with COVID. And in fact, the the trial doesn't show that at all. And um, so anyways, that's why I was concerned that it's not being corrected. And I feel like right now, see, here, here's what I know there, when you do public policy, there's a messaging aspect of it and that that comes into everything. But there's also a science aspect. And I feel like right now we have the tail wagging the dog that the folks who want to do the messaging, the folks who want everybody to get the vaccine have pressured the folks who are doing the science, i.e. reviewing the phase three trial from Pfizer, not to correct the document. But the document is false. So the CDC can do whatever messaging they want. That's that's the CDC's job, not my job. But they cannot propagate false and incorrect science. So that's my position. At this point, Congressman Massey sounds like you can hear it in his voice. He's getting frustrated that he feels like he's getting nowhere. And he threatens to go public if they won't fix what they're supposed to fix in his view. So actually, Dr. Shuket becomes responsive at this point in a way that Sounds good, I think, to Congressman Massey at this point. It won't be helpful to the CDC mission to suppress the science. Thank you so much for explaining the, the issues and the concerns and why they're concerns. I, um, I absolutely want to commit to you that there is no desire to suppress the science. Um, what I can say is um, that I think this was an honest mistake. But as you note correctly, there is not sufficient analysis to show that in the subset of only the people with prior infection, 
there's efficacy. So you're correct that that sentence is wrong and that we need to make a correction of it. I apologize for the delay. What I can say is that the information that's written for the public as opposed to the detailed uh, statement, you know, the detailed ACIP review of all the data, um, does not have that, uh, that line at all. And so there's no place in the public-facing um, uh, plain language that recommends the vaccine being efficacious in people with prior infection. I don't really understand this argument. Uh, Dr. Shuket is seems to be arguing that because this error is not, at least she says, in public-facing information on CDC's website, it exists in the more technical papers and the instructions from medical professionals. By the way, I read that stuff. But she's arguing maybe it's less harmful because it's not ordinary members of the public who would come across it. And I would argue it seems more serious that CDC is instructing or giving the misinformation to physicians and doctors who are the ones that people trust when they go to to say, hey, I've had coronavirus should I get the vaccine? And these physicians are going to say, absolutely, as CDC recommends, based on the studies, this would help you. This will help you. It's proven consistently highly efficacious, and that's just not true. But her defense in some respects seems to be, hey, don't worry too much because ordinary members of the public probably haven't run across this information. In terms of the practicality of the recommendations, the committee did deliberated on um, the question of should people who uh, should you only give vaccine to people where you know they aren't prior they weren't infected in the past and just logistically the idea of having to screen people for antibody or screen people for confirmed prior infection didn't make sense in a large scale uh, vaccination effort. So here there's an argument that we don't want to or it doesn't make sense to have people get an antibody test or figure out if they've had coronavirus prior to vaccination. But I think that a lot of people have had the test or had a confirmed diagnosis of coronavirus. So that's a huge chunk of people that would be able to know on the front end without additional testing whether they had been infected. I think it could also be argued, because everybody is saying test, test, test all the time, at least for coronavirus, that the antibody test or a test that shows in some cases whether someone has been infected could actually be very helpful on a large scale because it could tell that at least that population of people, which is believed to include many millions of people, would be able to go about their ordinary business or their daily lives and not take up that precious vaccine supply at a time when it's considered to be limited. But this is her explanation anyway. In terms of the supply constraints and the challenges that we're seeing uh, in jurisdictions around the country, assuring both fairness and um, uh, prioritization according to risk and so forth, that uh, you know, it's, I think everybody's shared concern right now. You know, that this this particular statement could lead to confusing actions. Um, certainly, there's. Um, an ability for us to get the errata out there in terms of a big um, suppression thing. I would I would just say this that's absolutely not what's going on. It's just a question of uh, 
convening, you know, convening priorities for people to get things done and trying to get plain language information on the uh, vaccines out there. Um, I would also say that we're um, in the midst of post-marketing vaccine effectiveness studies in a clinical trial, even as large as this one was with the 43,000 uh, uh, participants. There weren't numbers there to figure out what the what the actual effectiveness is in various circumstances, other than the age groups and the race ethnicity groups and the underlying diseases. Yes, no, mm-hmm. but potentially post marketing evaluation of vaccines might give us information on it. All right, I'm going to skip ahead. There's just a lot of talk that kind of goes on and on, but not really to the direct point, but. And Shuket seems to indicate they will make some kind of correction. They just have to figure out in what form it's going to take. And Congressman Massey, who's already been told once that this will happen, but then a month went by and nothing did, he's trying to press to see what is the next step and what is the timing here. I don't know that it's possible for you to fix all of the stuff that propagated from that. Uh, There was an online presentation. It's a YouTube um, where uh, Dr. Cohen interviewed two or three other doctors, and they, it, it, one of them incorrectly spoke and said that the trials showed that the vaccine was efficacious. I mean, for uh, people who had evidence of prior infection, if we could acknowledge this and just go on, the vaccine trials did not show that this vaccine was efficacious for people with prior infections. It did not. Yeah, it wasn't powered to do that, right? Correct. That's the, that's, and, that's the kind of thing you can look at post-license drugs, right? Right. So, and then beyond, so to say that it did is just wrong. And then the sentence in there, there's been some suggestion, and, th- and this is what bothers me. There's been some suggestion that it was just sort of a wordsmithing problem and that it could be wordsmith and that you could add a few words and make that sentence correct. But in fact, you cannot. And we will skip around because this goes on and on and on toward the getting toward the end of this conversation. So um, I understand there's there's two regimes here. There's public policy and then there's the science. But we cannot twist the science to support what you want the public policy to be. That's not how science works. And the, and the dozen or so people who signed on to that MMWR report, they're all PhDs and MDs to give the imprimatur of science. Not, I mean, maybe some of them have PhDs in psychology, for, but that's not the, the, the purpose of that report. And when people go in to dig into the science, they need to find science. And I've, I will, I will be, I'll be honest with you, I've already contacted about five of those people who've signed their name to it. Uh, some of them I was able to get through to and some of them not. But they should be troubled that their name is on a document. I mean, some of them are licensed medical professionals who are, whose name is on a document that is propagating false information that is leading to uh, decisions that are going to cause people who need the vaccine not to get it. That's how serious I think this is. Well, thanks so much for your concern. I'm going to need to jump off. Okay. So with that, the CDC did agree to make a change, said that none of this was intentional, 
that this was an honest mistake in the words of Anne Shuket. And what you may find strange, if you can get out of the minutia, because it's easy to get wrapped up in these conversations, the ones that I call the up is down conversations, and not step back and look at how the CDC, the professionals and the medical experts, they should be the ones catching these mistakes, these big errors when they happen. They should be horrified that they happen and eagerly and quickly trying to correct and rectify the misimpressions that were given instead of kind of talking in circles and circles and circles to the person, to the outsider who discovered it and sort of trying to convince him that there was really no technically incorrect error or that it could be fixed by adding a few words that don't really change the impression. So you may wonder what they ended up doing with that correction. And Congressman Massey was very distressed to see what they did was they added those couple of words that a lot of the discussion centered on that Congressman Massey and, as I said, other scientists that I read the wording to or showed the wording to thought was very confusing and simply doubled down on the misimpression about the studies. If you want to see more on this or how I synopsize this very complicated story, this very long story, in a fairly condensed version for full measure, you can watch the Sunday, January 31st episode, which will be posted by about 11 a.m. Eastern time at fullmeasure.news, as it always is. Hey, I would suggest go ahead and binge watch stories at fullmeasure.news, or you could go to cherylackison.com and click the Full Measure tab, and there's a link with all the cover stories done sort of broken down by several categories that I've been doing for the past five and a half years on off-narrative topics that include follow the money, whistleblowers, some issues like this about science and controversies, stories that aren't being told as far as I know in other places. And on full measure, we're still welcoming various viewpoints, whether I agree with them or not, because that's not the point. But we will air a diverse set of views and opinions on topics. Most of our reporting on full measure isn't political, but to the extent that we have political reporting, you'll hear off-narrative viewpoints, different sides, a wide variety of people, sort of like news used to be. I hope you will subscribe to the Full Measure After Hours podcast, share this with your friends, leave a good review, and check out my other podcast if you like these sorts of topics, the Cheryl Ackeson podcast. I hope you enjoy today's podcast and that you will subscribe to Full Measure After Hours, share it with your friends, leave a great review, and subscribe to my other podcast, The Cheryl Ackeson Podcast. Don't forget to spread the word about my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. This is a true, useful user's guide for consumers who notice that their information landscape is growing more and more controlled by third parties, whether it's big tech or political or corporate interests. This explains what's behind all of that. And perhaps more importantly, some things that you can do to try to find honest, accurate information in a very confusing and chaotic atmosphere. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.